It is 1.53 p.m. in the afternoon on October 30th, 2019. I'm Kevin Williams. This is the LDS Live Podcast. Janalee is here with me. Janalee Tobias, you've become a regular guest on the podcast, haven't you? Yes, I'm, I feel honored. So I just feel like I'm like a guest commentator, like you know, like on Fox News. Yeah. And they have guest <laughs> commentators. So yep. I'll just be your guest commentator, right? Yeah, that, uh, yeah, that, that's a good description. Um, yeah, let's uh, let's begin the podcast. I, I was actually going to do a solo uh, podcast last week, and I never got around to it. So we'll just uh, do it this week, and then we'll talk about the other issue that I know that you're passionate about, which I think is okay. uh, very significant. What was your opinion about uh, General Conference this time around? A lot of changes. Oh, boy, you're throwing a, a curveball at me. I wasn't expecting that, but that's okay. I'll answer it. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Um, okay. I, I'm trying to think of my favorite talks. I just... Oh, let's be honest. The church has been, every organization basically in the church has essentially been renamed and kind of restructured. Yes. So, um, so I, you know, I don't know what to think about. I, I really, I'm still kind of sad we don't say home teachers anymore and visiting teachers because we'd always say home tortures and and visiting creatures and yeah, I you know, remember it's that. Kinda, yep. you do <laughs> yeah, yeah well i remember you said that on one of my podcasts yeah oh i did <laughs> i'll say it again because it's yeah yeah so it, it's just because that was the last conference i think i was sad and and it's going to be embarrassing now if i don't remember some of the highlights well, i'm going to be um, honest uh i I'm just going to say it just because this is an LDS Life podcast doesn't mean I'm going to kowtow to everything here. I don't think people are understanding the whole idea of ministering. And maybe it's just me, but I realize ministering is somewhat of a relatively new thing, but I think a lot of people are slacking off of ministering. First of all, I don't even know who I'm supposed to be ministering to. Second of all, Seems like a lot of people in the church were so glad that home teaching was no longer a thing that uh, maybe it's because they didn't want to torture anybody. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, they were so glad. I, I can't tell you how many texts I got. Oh, I'm so glad we're not doing home teaching anymore. Well, wow. yeah, but I see a lot of people slacking off. I don't see many people talking about who they minister to, but they sure talked about who they home taught to. And I do miss the days where people would come by and give a lesson once a month. That was There was something personal about that, wasn't there? Yes, there was. And so I, it's interesting that, that you've, that's been your experience because that's what I've actually heard from my friends that are in Relief Society presidencies that nobody's doing it. <laughs> and so yeah. I think that maybe they thought they didn't have to do it. Like, but, but, you know, we still have to report if we did it or not. And in my ward, it, we report directly to the Relief Society presidency. So that actually makes more work for them, you know, whereas before you just called it into the visiting teaching supervisor or well, the here's teacher. the thing though. Um, 
I actually, okay, so tell me if you've experienced this, and I'd rather see this happen, and we'll talk about the way it's supposed to be in a few minutes, but I've seen, okay, somebody last week at church handed me a plate of cookies. He said, here, I'm your minister. Here's some cookies. Oh, really? Great. Oh, wow. But let's go further. I'll give you a perfect example of what I think a minister should do. Okay. And I'm sharing this from personal experience. And again, I have to leave the home teaching part out, although I really miss the days where people come by and give a lesson. I think the best example of a home teacher happened when I was a kid. When I was, let's see, I want to say from November of 87. No, it was December of 87 up until, trying to think, July or early August of 91. Had a home teacher. We had a home teacher who came by every single month without fail. And I think he enjoyed coming to my to our house because I was the Matt Drudge of the family. I was always a muckraker in in a way. <laughs> I was always of, giving of him politics or what just of a uh, family matters of who oh. was who was dating who. Uh, I'll give you an example. The very first time the home teacher slash home torture came over, <laughs> um, <laughs> we were. Uh, I just blurted out. I don't know why I told, oh, I know why. I told him I had a, uh, my brother at the time was in sixth grade. And I said, and, and I'm going to make up a name here to protect the innocent. Uh, I said, did you know that Tom broke up with Sheila? Now these are pseudonyms because I don't know, I don't feel comfortable giving off real first names. Well, I guess I'll, did you know that Tom broke up with Ashley? Okay, that's that's her real name, Ashley. And he said, no, I didn't know that. So I told him, because I overheard a phone conversation where my brother actually had a friend of my sister's call and just really slammed this girl. I was, our house was set up, I think the bench, the family room and the game room were supposed to be put together, but it had different, the game room was kind of a separate area, but the walls didn't separate. It was kind of one big room, but we treated it like two rooms. And so I could hear everything that was going on in the, in the family room downstairs. I was playing around on this exercise bike that I like to play on sometimes. And I was seven years old and I just thought the conversation was funny that my, it was funny that my brother, he was 12 years old at the time, would actually have his, uh, this, my sister's friend that I guess was in school with this person that my brother was going out with. They were in the same class or something. Anyway, he had her call and just say, well, Tom is really mad at you. You wouldn't even kiss him on the hayride that you went on and just went off on her about how badly my brother was being treated. And I was just laughing. And so I told the home teacher this and I think since then he really enjoyed coming because I had dirt on a lot of people, not just family, but people that I went to school with. I always seemed to know who was going out with who. And even it got to the point where I started knowing who was dating who in high school and who was getting married. I, I had a whole 
fictitious network going on. I'm not kidding when I say this because I wanted to get everything right when the home teacher came. I had a fictitious network called the Gossip News Network. I recorded everything I heard about who was dating who, and sometimes I'd even give my commentary. And it, it was, I really had a good thing going there. So I think the home teacher enjoyed coming. But not only did he do that, he would uh, take me golfing with me and my brother. So one time, him and his wife and I went golfing. Then he took me bowling. His grandkids were coming in for Thanksgiving weekend back in 1990. So he took me bowling wow. with his grandkids. That's a good home teacher, I think. Yeah, and that really, I think, is the point of ministering. I think we're supposed to, yeah, we don't have to necessarily give a lesson every month, although I miss that, but it's the other things that this guy did that I think we're missing. What do you think? Um, that's a hard one because that's called going the extra mile. So if you do the bare minimum, like I have people that they don't want to be seen. So we just, my companion and I, we just drop treats off every month. And I know they said, you know, don't even do that. But I think some contact, you know, is better than none at all. And then I'll, but I, I thought like, you know, we kind of have the liberty to minister to who we wanted to, but we still have a list. You haven't gotten one, but I still have the same ladies. I have four of them. And mm -hmm. so, and so I just like do extra nice things for them. And we never really, sometimes we'd give a lesson and I didn't mind, you know, I have having a lesson, but mine, uh, I don't think, I, I think I've maybe had twice, you know, and what is it? Is it coming on two years now since they changed that or a year or something or so, and it, and it was a drop off, but you know, or, but they say that you can even, you can even text them now. So sometimes mm -hmm. they'll text and they'll, I think the younger, uh, the younger members, they text because that's what they do. And so as old people, we still kind of have the personal touch. But yeah, I remember home teachers would come to my parents' house and we honestly, you know, we'd go hide so we didn't want to come up because we just thought it was old people talking really? to each other. But, I mean, yeah, I remember we would, like, just sit there and we'd be praying for them to leave. But now that I, when, when you get to be an adult and you realize that was really nice of them to take time to come over and talk because people are busy. But, yeah, so I people have different experiences. I have a really good home teacher, I still call him. I mean, he'll bring, oh, so he'll bring like crumble cookies for people that, that don't know. Crumble cookies is the, the, the latest Mrs. Fields cookies, you know, I've that, been, I don't know what oh a crumble gosh. cookie is. I've heard the name. Was it crumble Oh my gosh, lunch? you should get some. If you, if you don't get some in the next couple of weeks, I'll, I'll order some and send them to your house. You can, okay. um, you can have them delivered, but you you spell if you look online. I still think it's it's funny when I say look online because you're just so you're so you're uh, you are not um, 
handicapped at all by being blind. So, so yeah. look online, you know, but you won't see the mouth, the mouth watering pictures. Um, oh, I can have maybe, them described. Oh, oh, they'll describe them. Well, I can have someone describe it. Yeah. Oh, but but will your phone look at it and describe what they look no. like? No. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, this week is caramel apple, um, pumpkin, cho chocolate pumpkin cheesecake. Um, From Mrs. Fields? No. It, it, oh. It's like it's, you know, Mrs. Fields was like this big thing and. Oh yeah, I remember. Crumble that. cookies. People are just lined up out the door. Wow. And every Monday they have four new kinds. And so I'll confess, every Monday I start looking at the website on Sunday because I can't wait to see what new kinds they're going to have mm -hmm. for the week. <clears throat> but yeah. I think the caramel apple is one of my favorite that they make. And then uh, ca caramel apple, they have candy corn, um, pumpkin cheesecake, and... I I can't remember the other one right now. Anyway, they're just really, really good, really, yeah. really good cookies. I've had, and I think I've had over sixty flavors. Oh my! Well, yeah. I think uh, the biggest problem I have, as far as ministering is concerned, is, and I have to cut the people some some uh, some slack. But when I was in Arkansas, I felt like I had very little contact with members, and I think. Part of it, a lot of it, was because they only knew that I was going to be there temporarily. So they treated me as the college student, the one who's not going to be around very much. Yeah, they'd say hi to me at church, but gosh, it would have been nice if I would have become a family friend to somebody or something. Oh. Yeah. I think that was the whole idea of ministering. So nobody did that with you? No. Wow. I mean, he... occasionally I would, okay, I became friends with one person, and but it was usually me that would call and say, do you want to go to dinner somewhere, which is fine, but it would have been nice if I would have had at least three or four families that I was friends with or something other than just one. I, I don't want to be negative. I'm glad I was friends with this one couple, but Gosh, it would have been nice if three or four families would have been friends with me or whatever. Well, that's an interesting perspective again because like when <laughs> I don't I don't really I I don't mind them, but I don't really need them. So sometimes I you know like if they want in the past I would just be like you don't need to come over. You can count that. They called me, I go you can count it, you know, just for the sake of keeping records. Well, I think too. We're in a. I'm in a whole. I'm single, and let's face it, in Arkansas, there's not very many of us. Uh, we are certainly the minority. Not that I didn't have friends that weren't members, because I did. Uh huh. But I wonder if that's why I had the perspective that I had about Arkansas. Yeah, I probably would like that. You know, if I was single and um, lived in and. In, area where I didn't know anybody, I think it'd be pretty awesome to have somebody assigned to come and visit me and kind of check on me. Yeah. So. Uh, no, don't get me wrong. I did have a few friends in the ward, but not too many. And I don't know if it was just because they treated me like the single guy that was just a student and was leaving or what. 
but I think the whole idea of ministering was to kind of bridge that gap and that people in the church do not seem to be doing it very good. Is that what you've heard from other people too? Some, some, yes. And uh I'm speaking more of experience, but yes, some. Yeah, I've kind of heard the same thing. I think because if you don't have to be accountable, even though you really do, because they still ask, you know, if you've been going to see the family. Yeah, but then let's do the cookie scenario. Has somebody dropped you off a cookie, a plate of cookies and just called it good and reported that? Um, that's what I do <laughs> for visiting teaching. But sometimes I'll, because it's still like, if you're trying to get rid of just a little bit of, I, I call it, it's what I, I pay every month so I don't have guilt. So at least I'm doing something. But sometimes, you know, we'll, we'll stop by and talk to them. But honestly, I don't, I don't know if we're more busy than we are. When I was a kid growing up, I would go with my mom visiting teaching and I remember ladies loved it and they would just sit and talk and talk but now with um, I think the majority of women working outside of the home that that just doesn't really occur that much anymore where people take time to sit down and talk maybe they do but but yeah different times that we live in but I yeah I remember going with my mom all the time I would go visiting teaching with her and what do you think of the uh, changes of the youth program that's what I really want to talk about speaking about changes I so the scouting program part of it or the everything Uh, the getting rid of the young men's president and um the getting rid of the names for the young women, laurels, my maids, beehives. What do you think of all that? I think that it's kind of sad just because we loved being identified as a my maid or a beehive or a laurel. And now we're just young women. And it's just, there's something to be said about having uh, to be called a name, even in primary with sunbeams and the stars and the CTRs and the target oh, yeah. and the merry misses and oh, I remember those so, days, yeah. Yeah, I, I think a little bit of the kind of the uniqueness and kind of pizzazz is it's kind of gone. That it, you know, does it affect my testimony? No, it doesn't. But anyway, I don't, I don't. I'm not in a position to reorganize any of those groups and to have to deal with that, but I feel bad for the ones that are in leadership positions. Well, here's the thing. Uh, I was talking to a person yesterday, and I'm actually glad we're talking about this. Uh, I was talking to a person yesterday that was the young men's president in his ward in Arkansas. We were talking on Marco Polo, which is a great app, by the way. I love Marco Polo. Uh, because I can yeah. talk and we can talk and we don't have to be on the phone real time like we are now on Zoom and the phone. We can just talk and then whenever someone wants to get back to me, they can. And quite frankly, I don't want to call somebody with just one question and annoy that person. So I'll just ask on Marco Polo, what do you, what should I do in this situation or whatever? And usually the person gets back to me in about 14 minutes and then we're done 
I really, I love Marco Polo. But anyway, we were talking, no, I'm not being uh, paid to advertise Marco Polo, just a plug. But we were talking on Marco Polo and his bishop feels really overwhelmed right now. And he brought up a good point. He just told his bishop, do more delegations. If you have people that you trust that can coordinate rides for temple trips or who's going to bring food, just coordinate that, leave it in the hands of others. Your light will be, you will have a lightened load. Um, what do you think of that? I think that's part of the idea is maybe to delegate more responsibility to others, but I do agree. I think bishops will be very overwhelmed, at least until a whole generation gets used to this concept. Yes, that was my first response was like, oh my gosh, I feel so sorry for the bishop. He's already so busy. <laughs> but I I think he's our, he's always been over the, the, the young men anyway, technically. Yes. Um, yeah, the young but, men's president was really kind of a figurehead. I don't want to knock the calling, but it was kind of just a figurehead, really. Although the young men's president may have done more interacting with the young men they, than the bishop. Believe me, they, they did a lot because my husband was young men's president. It's a very, very busy calling. So I guess they just, uh, you know, they want more interaction with the bishop, which in, in my word, it's a, a bishop of five young children. So I prayed for him every night. I really like, and, and the Relief Society also had, president also has five young children and so I, I pray for them to be blessed and to be able to have strength and to get through everything they need to do. So I I got lucky. I didn't have big church callings, but my husband did, and I just had little primary jobs, and that's good with me. So yeah. Um, and well, nursery I, I is the very best, you. by the way. Oh, what's that? Nursery is the best calling in the church. Oh, yeah. To, to be in the nursery. Do you have a calling right now, Kevin? Not right now. I don't know. What have you had um, in the past as a calling? Well, I've been the uh, elders quorum teacher, and I was on the missionary committee. Then I was on the self-reliance committee, but we didn't do anything. The self-reliance committee, like, yeah. so you, like that would teaching. be like teaching people preparedness and all that stuff. Yeah, we never met. We never did anything. So I wow. thought, okay, uh, so it goes. Did you yeah. have helpers for that? Did I? Uh -huh. well, well, there were a whole bunch of people on it, but we never met. Nobody sent out anything. I would tell people, I'd ask certain people, when are we meeting? Uh, we'll find out. Never got a response. <laughs> wow. It's not that way in in my ward. Oh, my gosh. Like, everybody is, like, super responsible. And and then I've got uh, family members in Washington State, you know, and she feels so underused. And the same thing, like, they just kind of let things lax sometimes. Yeah. So I, I heard an interesting perspective on maybe one of the reasons that young men get called to Utah on to go on a mission because 
I feel sorry for them. You know, like how many times can you pick over a neighborhood? And sometimes the boundaries for these missionaries will, will be like this one stake. Oh, and wow. So here, here's what I what I'd like to see in the next conference is that if you get called to Utah, it's just for a year, you know, maybe, maybe switch up some of these Utah That wouldn't be Idaho a bad missions. idea. Yeah. Or a year or six months, maybe. Yeah. And, yeah. and so maybe they needed to come to Utah to, to see how well um, these organizations function. So I'm, I'm not saying that people in other states don't do stuff. I'm just saying, in my example, I, I've just seen a very well-oiled machine. Mm-hmm. Um, and because it's just so, in, in Utah, it just stares you in the face every day that everybody's here is Mormon, kind of. It's only like 50% now, I think, Salt Lake County. So... Oh wow. Um so yeah, no, it's it's uh I I don't know, like I don't wanna it, it's just it's just kind of not as fun, I guess, but the prophet got a revelation, so you know, he said it's to prepare for the second coming of the Lord and I mean they said that in a lot of talks, second coming of the Lord, so well, here's what I think, and I I don't think I'm wrong. I think these changes, it will take a whole generation to get used to, just like the word of wisdom, just like polygamy. You know, when polygamy mm-hmm. was done away with, there were still people going to colonies in Mexico to get married and practice polygamy in the church. Uh, I think it'll take a whole generation to get used to this new way of thinking, don't you think? Um, it might be if if there's a generation left, quite frankly, because a lot of the millennials, as a trend, don't are are not interested in religion, and maybe they think that by not maybe that who knows maybe they did research and found that they thought those names were hokey, Maya maids, beehive florals. I I don't know, but they um, the trend is for millennials not to have any religion at all and to do what they want and just there's no commandments and there's no God so therefore there's no punishment and you can do what you want live for today without any consequences seems to be the the new generation and and uh, moral measuring sticks have changed on all kinds of issues on morality from word of wisdom to um to church attendance, to temple attendance. And I've even read articles where when I grew up, it was like, yeah, you go to church every Sunday, but now it's just kind of just go maybe once or twice a month. But yeah, I mean, I've just grown up my whole life going to church every Sunday. I wouldn't have it any other way because even though I complain about it sometimes, especially if you're up late on a Saturday night and you have nine o'clock church it's just you know it's just a good way to start off the week i think to have spiritual nourishment and even though how long do we honestly remember the talks and the lessons (laughs) some of them you might think about all week but i'm a musician so part of what really is helpful for me to get an enjoyment out of church is the hymns and i'm right now the word organist and 
we, me and the chorister, who was another lady, and now it's my husband, we made a goal to go through the whole hymn book. So we have found some really gems of hymns. And in particular, the one, there's one on page 55, I think, Lo, Almighty God appearing. And it's about the second coming of Christ. And when Christ comes, that the earth's going to shake and there's going to be tempests and there's going to be judgments coming. And oh, okay. Now I'm going to so, look it up here. That's where you hear background noise. I'm getting my USB oh, yeah. oh, you're thumb good. drive. I, okay. I, should, I should look it up too. I mean, you can read the words too. Like I think verse two is the best, but it's, it's just a reminder um, of the, the second coming and the hymns. What the thing that's so powerful about music is when you put words to music, it, you just, you can remember things. I, I was, I've always been, um, I'm a, I'm a pretty accomplished piano player, a flute player, um, organ, and I'm playing the banjo. And, and so, so I've always been in band and choir and musicals. So I can remember songs that I learned clear back in junior high. Just that's how, how powerful the words are. So if people pay attention to the words and hymns. Um, they, they just go if if you don't want to read the scriptures i'm not saying don't don't make it a substitute but i'm saying uh, to me hymns are scripture because the the words are they're inspirational and they and they the hymns are what i've used to get through some really hard times especially politically and especially when you're fighting against um powers and principalities there's a a song called let us all press on and to make a long story short i was asked to be a plaintiff the lead plaintiff in a lawsuit against playboy because they were um <clears throat> they had sex toys in a in a, a gift stores in the mall and they found out that my kids had an experience with it. And so I, I was free, you know, I was, as I was praying about it and deciding what to do, because I knew they'd destroy my life. The words to the song, um, let us all press on. And the words are, we will not retreat, though our numbers may be few when compared with the opposite host in view. But an unseen power will aid me and you in the glorious fight for truth. And I've experienced that so many times because in the fight for freedom, Kevin, as you know, um, it's 3%. It's always been only 3%. I consider myself to be a 3%er. I consider you to be a 3%er. It was only 3% in the Revolutionary War. And so to, to go up against the the early colonists, you know, to go up against the greatest Navy in the world, which was Great Britain. There's, there's no other way they, they could have won these big powers if they hadn't had an unseen power to aid them. And there's stories of George Washington um, that no bullet could hit him and all kinds of really spiritual experiences. So, so that that's a hymn. Did did you pull up that song? Yes, it's uh, "Low the Mighty." Let's see. Oh, "Low the Mighty." Let's see. 
hang on, my braille tablets. Okay. Lo the mighty, God appearing, page 55. Is that the one that you were referring to? Yes, I'm uh -huh, good. Yeah. Yep. Uh, for those of you that don't know, I have a an electronic Braille hymn book that I downloaded off the church church's website years ago. Uh, That's really cool. Yeah. Um, speaking of uh, the fight for freedom, uh, you oh, okay, fought for but, a oh what? But but hold that thought because I'm I'm a little intrigued, and I think the listeners will be intrigued. Why don't you okay. read um, a verse in Braille? Have you read any while I've been? Do you have this? I think that um, verse two. I mean, I would offer to read it for you, but it's easy for me. I know it must be easy for you by now, but like for a people, somebody with sight to read is easy. So like to hear, like you just pulled up this song, and I just. I have such great respect for blind people because, I mean, oh my uh, gosh, I don't know how I would function. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks. Yeah. Okay. I, I have it right here. Zion, all its might, Zion, uh, Zion, all its might, unflooding. God oh, in oh, glory. What? Oh, unfolding. Sorry. Folding. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Zion and all its might, unfolding. Light. Light. What did I say? Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. Zion in all its light unfolding, God in glory shall display. Lo he come, lo he comes, nor si <clears throat> nor silence, holding fire and clouds appear appear his way. And it goes on. It says uh, temples round temples round him. It beat tempest. Oh, okay, yeah, you're right. Tempest round him, tempest round him, past on the on the like dreadful the, day. Yeah, uh, hasten. You're you're doing good. I just okay. hasten. Hasten on the yeah. dreadful day. Tempest round him, tempest round him, hasten on the dreadful day. And then it goes to verse three. Yeah. It's, um, anyway, I bet probably no one's ever sung that before. <laughs> um, but the the music, the text is by William Good, and the music is by Evan Stevens. He's my favorite. Okay. Uh, musician that you know that writes the not the lyrics but the music. Every by time the way, there's a song by uh, Evan Stevens, you're gonna love it. Yeah, by the way, uh, what do you think? I wonder what the new hymn book is going to comprise of. Nobody's talking about it. I wonder what's going to be in next year's hymn book. Because there's um, you know that uh, I would really like to see put in there. Which one? Well, the ones that I can think of. I don't know if you've heard of them. Uh, Praise Him. And I don't think this one would be in there, but it should be, but it won't, I'm sure. Uh, Banner of the Cross. That's a good one. Oh, but huh. the problem is you have to play the piano in a very lively tempo. And I don't know if very many organists will. What is that banner, banner of the cross? Yeah. Banner of the cross. It's a, I, a lot of Baptist churches use it. And the only reason I know about it is because I used to attend in Arkansas, a Sunday night Baptist service. Cause I had friends that were Baptists. So occasionally I'd attend their Sunday night service. 
Well, I'm going to look that up, but okay. But yeah, I I hope they keep some of the real old ones in there. There are songs in the hymn book that are a thousand years old, and that would be uh, one of them, "All Creatures of Our God and King" by Francis Assisi. He's Saint Saint Francis Assisi. Okay. Um, and several of them, three or four hundred years old. There's a a hymn by Rudyard Kipling, who wrote the Jungle Book. Um, oh, wow. Songs by the uh, Charles Wesley, the founder of Methodist Church. Um, yeah, so there's there's really they're just really powerful hymns. I'm and I and I'm I've been attending some churches lately, and I think they're they're really good. And they have the drums and the guitars. But I've come to just understand the power of the organ since I started playing. And it really, it's just, it's all powerful. So my new religious thought is that I play the piano and the organ. So the piano is like Heavenly Mother. So it's mm -hmm. kind of gentle and soft and a, a little bit, you know, it's just very comforting and soothing. The organ is like Heavenly Father. Because it's just all powerful and almighty, and can just really, women can be all powerful and mighty too. I'm just saying, that's yeah. just my personal thought. Because, um, and it makes you realize the power of God. And playing a song on the piano just doesn't do it as well. Yeah, this church so. that I went to on Sunday nights in Arkansas, they played the piano. And then on in the background, I wish that we'd do this in our church, but it probably will never happen. So, uh, the person that I went to church with, um, his wife played the French horn along with the piano. It sounded really good. Oh, wow. That, I think that would be good. Uh -huh. Yeah. It, it's, it just added a whole other dimension. I thought, why can't we do this in our church? But anyway. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so... Just real quickly, a talk that stuck with me, and then we'll get on to the main issue here. Do you remember Elder Bentonar's talk about cheetahs? Yes, I I do. I think that one's been used a couple of times or something. Well, Boyd yeah. P. Packer used it in 1976. By the way, I actually looked up that talk on the Gospel Library on my phone. Oh. Um, no offense to Boyd K. Packer. But I did like Elder Bentner's talk better because it was more detailed. Uh huh. Uh, but a props to Elder Bentner, or props to Boy K. Packard for getting it started, since he influenced Elder Bentner. So we do uh -huh. have to give Boy K. Packer credit, even though uh -huh. I thought Elder Bentner's talk was better. But uh, let's give Boy K. Packer credit. He's the one who started the conversation. So right. basically what it was, for those of you that don't remember, is Elder Bentonar was in Africa watching a cheetah chasing these antelopes. They had a name for the antelopes. I can't remember what the name was. Topies. That's what it was. Topies. Little, I guess they were, they were big antelopes, what I remember. And the cheetah would, there were two cheetahs. One cheetah would charge at the antelope or the topies while the other one was just kind of sit back and observe. And I, I assume the other one would, I can't remember the whole talk, but I think the other one, at, well, oh yeah, the other cheetah would come up right on the topies just as the main cheetah that was uh, 
doing the attacking was just a few feet away. And then there were some older topies that were watching the other, the younger topies and leading them off to places where the cheetahs couldn't go in time. Now, mind you, according to Elder Bentnor, and I, I have reason to believe that he's correct, a cheetah can run from zero miles an hour to 68 miles an hour within seconds. Wouldn't it be nice if we could run that fast? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the event, I guess they get up to 78 miles an hour. I think the closest thing that comes to that is an ostrich, if I remember. And the whole point was, you know, be on guard for Satan's temptations. Now, I would like to tell you a personal story here. Years ago, back in the summer of 1996, it was the, one of the worst summers that I'd ever had. The best thing about that summer was the fact that it was over. The only thing good that oh. happened to that summer is I went to northern Idaho. It's the only thing good that oh. came out of that summer. Uh-huh. Anyway, I was uh, young, 16, away from home, even though home was probably about 10 miles from where I was living at the time. But I wanted to get away from home, as most teenagers do. I really, anytime I could get away from home for a few days or weeks or months at a time, I'd take advantage of it, believe me. Being mm-hmm. blind, I had plenty of opportunity. So I took advantage of all those opportunities that I could. And in doing so, I had my own ideas of how to do things and Let's just say that I was beginning to be friends with some very, very questionable people. I certainly wouldn't be today. I'd know exactly what to look for now, but I was young and dumb and thought I had this all figured out. And of course, uh, my ideas were not always, were uh, probably 50% of the time were not in sync with my parents' ideas. Of course, I was going to deviate when I could. Uh So I was friends with some very questionable people Uh, They were much older than me, but at the time, I have to be honest, they were fun, very non-judgmental, and one of them was hilarious. One of them reminded me of someone who would be on a rock station. In fact, I asked him once, have you ever considered being a DJ? And he said, no, but that'd be a lot of fun, wouldn't it? He reminded me of someone that would be on a heavy metal station or something. And he asked me one day... Have you ever, now, this was when I lived in Boise. And he asked me one day, have you ever floated the river, uh, the Boise River, which you may or may not know. Boise has a river. Yeah, I know about that. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. For those that don't know, Boise has a river. Wouldn't you say it's right in the center of town, probably? Yeah. It goes through the center of town. It starts. Uh Uh-huh. Anyway. I said, yeah, I I have. And he said, well, would you like to come with me? I said, sure, with a little hesitation, just because, you know, if my parents found out that I was hanging out with this guy, they would really wring wring my neck, trust me. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I said yes with a little hesitation, but I thought, well, that might be, that sounds fun, and this guy's fun to be around, and why not? It was him and his girlfriend that invited me. And I'll be honest with you, the night before I floated the river, I had a really, really uncomfortable feeling that I should not go. 
it really hit me hard. And even at the age of 16, be having a rebellious spirit, even I knelt down and prayed and asked, Lord, what is going on here? It really hit me hard. By the way, before that, a few weeks prior to this uh, river trip that we went on, if you want to call it that, I had a very disturbing dream about this guy. It was, well, it was more about his girlfriend, but he was kind of there. He was there in the dream and it was disturbing. And I, and I just woke up and I had a niece at the time that was four years old. And I thought I wouldn't want my niece to be hanging out with these people, but yet here I was hanging out with them. And I just, yeah, I, I talked myself into going cause I said, you know what? I already committed to this trip. I already called this guy up. I already, what's going to happen if I back out now? So the next day we got everything arranged and he came and got me and we floated the river and I, yeah, there is a reason why I had that uncomfortable feeling. No, I did not get hurt. Nothing bad happened to me personally. I just didn't like the guy's attitude and didn't like what was going on. I don't, I don't want to get into it all, but yeah, when you have those feelings, that's exactly what I thought of when I heard that talk. When you have those feelings, don't ignore them. We know what to do when we have those feelings, don't we? Um, I haven't always listened to them. I haven't been perfect. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but yeah, definitely I've, I've had those and it's, I'm thankful for the Holy Ghost. I don't, I don't know what I would do if if I didn't have the Holy Ghost, I think the Holy Ghost has kept me from some bad situations. So at least, you know, you were on your guard, even though you went, you were on your guard. Very much. Oh yeah. He even asked me, uh, and I'm sure it was an innocent question. He he said, because he was a smoker and he said, "Uh, Kevin, do you smoke? And I said, no. Uh, I told myself, long ago, I'll try alcohol before I smoke, if I ever get to that point. Mm-hmm. So maybe that saved me. But yeah, I, I yeah, I can see why I, he ended up not being a very nice guy after that, by the way. Um, you know, he didn't do anything to me, just his actions and things like that. He didn't, you know, we never got physically confrontational or anything. But yeah, well, uh, it was uh, it was quite a learning experience. And even recently, there was a time, I can tell you this off the podcast, more okay. into it. There was <laughs> uh-huh. a time I didn't feel comfortable going somewhere, and I didn't. We, we can get into that after the podcast, because I, I, I think you might know what I'm alluding to. So anyway, uh, any talk that stuck out with you before we get into the main issue? Oh man, there. I do love the talks, and there were a lot of good ones. Ask somebody younger. <laughs> okay. Um, that's why we have the ensign, and we can yep. go online and find them, right? But yep. yeah. So. Yeah, I, I think that they're amazing, the messages. They, they prepare the way they word the messages. I, I'd, I would not want that responsibility. I don't ever want to be like a big religious leader because I don't, I don't want to 
I think that's just a big responsibility. So anyway, but yeah, it was a great conference and you were about to do a segue into another topic. Yeah, um, let's get into uh, mulligans. Mulligans, for those of you that don't know, is a miniature golf course in South Jordan. I have been there, by the way. It's a nice place. Oh, you have been? Oh. I have. I went back in, when was it? 2002. And I went back there again in 2014. Oh, which is right you do when get the, around there, Kevin. <laughs> yes, which is right when the city paid off its bond, apparently, to uh-huh. Mulligans. We'll get into that. Uh, for that, okay. So my understanding, I've just been to the golf ca- part of it, but I know they have a batting cage. They have a nine-hole golf course, a regular golf course, is my understanding, correct? Yes. Okay, and the city bought it back in 2004. And my understanding from what I've read in these articles, it sounds like they were thinking about selling it, what, in 2004 or, or was it later? Um, I, I don't know when they started thinking about it. I, what did your, the story about it is that um, there was an, a farmer, his name was Van Palmer, and he wanted to preserve his his farm ground. And so he he had, I think, I don't know, 20 to 60 acres. And he basically gave it to the city of South Jordan on, and, you know, for 10 cents on the dollar on condition that they use the profits of the sale of his ground to developers who developed it to a, into a housing development, that they would use the proceeds to preserve it was either preserve mulligans or to preserve open space in South Jordan. Cause South Jordan has land along the Jordan river. So, so the city decided to purchase mulligans with the funds that they made from the profit of selling the ground to a developer who put it into homes. So from a conservative viewpoint of government, that that's not, because um, we talk about excessive government programs, excessive government facilities that private entities could pay for, like golf courses, for example, because t- maintaining recreation centers and golf centers takes a lot of money. Sure. But on this one, the, the majority of it was purchased with private funds. And so... It, this is the way it is in government. You're safe as long as you have people in office who are friendly to your cause. So we got a new mayor, and he decided that that would be a good tax revenue for the for South Jordan. And it's also, besides a miniature golf course, it has batting cages and a putting. Oh, a driving a range. Yes, it does. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And you can also putt for free at, um, so anybody can go and, and just and they, you can even buy a bucket of balls for like a buck and practice putting on the putting greens for free and the driving range in the two 12 hole golf courses a, a, a professional and an amateur so it's a really unique 
family recreation slash golf course because you can go with your family. It's not a snotty golf course. I took a photo of a man playing golf with his daughter. She had pink golf clubs. And it, it was just adorable. It, and it made a couple of different newspaper articles just to show that, like, where else can you go and where can a, a dad golf with his three-year-old daughter? And by the way, this was on a putting green. In case anybody is wondering about, there was just a, a, a very tragic story of a, a dad golfing with his daughter and some weird thing happened. She was in the line of his, of where he shot the golf ball and the ball hit her and it killed her. I, I just can't imagine the trauma and the excruciating pain that family's going through. But so, um, and it's also by the Jordan River, which I've spent years trying to preserve because I, I'm a gun rights activist. And so I've always said that to, we need to find things that that work on crime control. So what are issues in a community that are beneficial to controlling crime? And studies have shown that having open space, having recreational areas, places where people can go and chill and relax and have a place to get rid of their stress and anger is very beneficial to communities. So the, the mayor uh, started a friend of mine, Julie Holbrook. She lives uh, by Mulligans and she got word of a, a $300,000 study that the city council had commissioned and kept it secret from the public to pay out-of-state consultants to to tell South Jordan. I just love it when they, they hire out-of-state consultants to tell you what to do with your city instead of asking the citizens that live here. I think it's so rude. Yeah, I read Until that in they, the article. Oh, you did? Yeah. Yeah, where you, you said, I can't remember which article I, st I read a bunch, but you said in the article, it would be better, so I'm paraphrasing, it would be better if they paid attention to the residents rather than consultants. Right. And they do that because so they can, I mean, it's just, it's so rude that they act like that we, we're not capable and competent enough to know what we want in our city when we live here. And it's just, it's just a way for them to do whatever they want. They do that with everything. They did it with the prison. And it's, it's just rude because you should ask the people that live here. And we'll, we'll tell you for free, by the way, <laughs> you know, um, what to do and you don't have to pay millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars. So, so anyway, um, so they, they did a PR campaign to, to tell the citizens of South Jordan that Mulligan's was costing half a million dollars a year, which was completely bogus. It actually made money and that it would bring in $60 million if they sold it and people could get a tax reduction. So um, this was a true grassroots story of... So let me back up here. How do you... Okay. How, I, I don't dispute you, but for someone that's wondering, how do you know that uh, 
the city was not losing tax revenue and how do you know that it was generating tax revenue before they said, oh, this is costing us too much taxpayers money. Let's sell this for 60 million and see what we can get out of it. We knew what that Mulligan's was making a half a million dollars a year for two reasons. And that is a good question that there were ladies that I was working with that are accountants and, oh. and so they know how to read budgets. I mean, I know how to read a budget, but not as good as they do, you know? And so they figured it out. And then we asked the South Jordan's finance director and he told the truth that that Mulligan's doesn't lose money, that it makes money. But a person on the city council was saying, I'm, you know, I think some of the figures that it was losing like 20 million a year or some absurd number like that. And so we had to, when you're in a position of power, you have constant access to the media and newsletters. And so they were trying to send messages that it was losing money. So we had, uh, so we started bringing awareness by printing up really a nice yard signs that said save mulligans in like a lime green color and with a like it looks like a golf course slash river bottoms area it was a real nice logo that a friend of mine um, designed and then so and we had t-shirts made that said save mulligans and we would stand outside at the golf course and wave signs. And so immediately there there's mulligans. People come from as far as way as Boston to play on the golf course. So it it's in this unique category of being a recreational area that makes money because parks just lose money. Basically it's completely a money loser, but it's still good for the communities. So it's very well loved because it, because it does have heated driving ranges. It's always crowded. So then the patrons began to find out, and then the the neighborhoods and basically the entire city, basically of South Jordan, and and a lot of other people from outside South Jordan, in Salt Lake County and Utah County, people that would use mulligans, and it was very near and dear to them because um, it. In, in this age of electronics and kids growing up with a cell phone in their hand, it's so dangerous for them to not have outdoor experiences. So one of my lines would be, you know, where do, where do you, what are they going to do? Play golf on their iPads, right? Yes. On their electronic devices. Go for a walk on the Jordan River. Go for a virtual walk on your handheld device and so uh we fought like crazy and that year it's we have uh, like every town has their town celebration days so we the citizens got together and made a safe mulligans float we had a booth we got signatures and to bring awareness and we still had to fight our city council every step of the way even though they saw how important it was. And I was 
I can still say this word, I think. I was manning the booth. <laughs> no, do I have to say, if you're female, you have to say, I was womaning. Yeah, the, that's silly. <laughs> <laughs> I was womaning the same Mulligan's booth, and this teenager who looked like she didn't have a whole lot of money, and and she said, please, you got to save Mulligan's. It's the only place where we have to go outside and to play. And so she handed me a $100 bill from this teenager and I could tell like that was that was everything to her so um and and we we took so oh we would have people show up at meetings Kevin we'd have two or three hundred people wearing save mulligans t-shirts and the mayor would say I don't care about the ones that are here tonight I care about the ones that didn't come and Oh, wow. And as we all know in life, um, the ones who show up make the difference, right? Like yeah. the, the ones who show up that he wanted to, I don't, I don't think I've heard a public official say, I don't care what you guys think. I, I care about the ones that aren't here. <laughs> the ones that aren't there don't care, you know? So uh, it, it was, we spent a lot of our own time and our, our own money to buy ads and in the city journals and then they 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 made a propaganda film talking about how expensive mulligans was going to be so we made it our Who's own there? video of the city spending oh. taxpayer dollars then the mayor okay. um hired city staffers and used city funds to send a letter to everybody in the city telling them how much money that mulligans was costing them was and that effective, do you think? I know that you ended up saving it, which we'll get there, but was the letter effective, do you think? Um, well, I, I'm sure it affected a lot of people's opinions because people would call me and say, I don't want my tax dollars to be used to support um, a golf course. And, and I would have to explain, no, private dollars purchased this. And, and and the mayor would use the term subsidized golf. We don't want subsidized golf. Well, everything. Okay, then they're a subsidized mayor. It's a subsidized library, right? Everything in government. Yeah, is although the uh, conservative libertarian argument, I would actually argue that uh, someone from the John Birch Society would probably argue those should be privatized, libraries and things like that. Um, you know, I'm not sure how I, actually, we don't really need libraries anymore. Is that mean to me? Like with the internet, you don't need who goes to the library except uh, for homeless I'll people, tell you this, you know? I, when I was studying to get a master, to get into a master's program, the library was a great place to go because that's where I got tutoring. It was a public place. So yeah, some mm -hmm. of us still do use the library on occasion. It's a great place to hold conferences or whatever. Yes, and we do need to preserve libraries. I totally agree. But, 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 the, but the, what I'm saying, though, is I, could, I understand that argument because a libertarian or ultra-conservative, I would even think President Benson, him being the John Bircher supporter. By the way, I did have a John Bircher on my podcast recently. Oh. They would argue that the libraries ought to be privatized. So what would your argument there be? On a library... I think you should um, I, I think that libraries are an integral part of communities even though we have the internet now 
and and I know that especially the downtown uh, Salt Lake libraries, most people that go to that, not most, many are homeless people who just hang out there during the day. And so it, I guess that's a good thing, you know, but I'm sure libraries could find ways to, to make money and instead of just take money. But in the case of Mulligans, again, it was purchased with private funds. Now, when you, and, didn't the city buy it in 2004, though? Yes. Against, we always had, we were suspicious of the city buying it. So good for them for buying it, but they they didn't technically buy it. They still owe a bond on it. So they so here's what happened. So they took a survey. There's a certain company uh, that the politicians use when they want to get the results they want. It's just the way it is. I hope people know that that pollster companies are a propaganda machine and to to get the results that the by city By the way, wanted. I've never been called by any of these companies. When they say, the polls say this, well, I never got called. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've been called on quite a few, but it's true. So, but there, there are certain um, polling companies that will get the results that the cities want, so the city can say, well, we took a poll and this is what they want. And there are certain polling companies in the state of Utah where the establishment types, they own and operate the polling companies. So that's who they hired. So we, you know, we called them and said, hey, are you going to, um, we're going to be suspect if you have any other result because our own personal polling indicates that, you know, 94% or more uh, one to preserve mulligans. So we, we had a feeling that they might try to <clears throat> to kind of skew the results. So we we paid it up for our to do a poll in the newspaper and we beat them before they got their poll done. And and the results were that ninety four percent wanted to save mulligans. So so they did a poll and figured out that that people did want to save mulligans, and in fact, people would be willing to pay a little extra in taxes if they needed to, to preserve it. Because people are understanding, especially in the Salt Lake Valley, that um, the more that Salt Lake Valley becomes developed, the more valuable that open space is. And and so it actually increases property value of, of homes in, in areas for example, Vail, Colorado, Park City, Jackson Hole, and these these cities that have that have preserved green space, property values go up. <clears throat> because, because do we want to just live in a in a concrete city, everywhere we go? It's not healthy. Nature is has so many beneficial and, and positive effects on people, especially the Jordan River. Which it, you know, if you're lucky, you can see uh, there's foxes and deer and down there, and there's just something magical about seeing animals in nature in, instead of caged at the zoo. It, it's just um, it's magical. And so the other thing is that the the mayor was calling Mulligan's subsidized golf. You probably read this that he was actually pushing 
for a theater company in Utah. It was the yes, Hale he was negotiating theater. with the Hale Center Theater, and uh, the, he was going to give 67 acres of that, which, by the way, was the same acre. I guess that's the amount of acres that Mil Mulligan's is on, correct? Yes, they were just going to yeah. give. They were going to give a theater company 10 acres. So how is that not subsidized theater? Not very so, much. So what political officials do, their pet projects, they don't consider them subsidized. If they want to demonize something, they you know they call it subsidized. So I at, at that time he he built this uh they built some splash pads. They're they're like I'm sure you've heard of them or seen them in your mind at least um, or maybe even ran through them that now public squares will have uh, like spring uh, water that shoots out of the ground and and kids love it they love to run oh through. yeah so I yeah I know what I, you're so I was about. calling them subsidized sprinkler systems because I'm saying hey I have my own sprinkling system at my house why do, why does my tax money have to subsidize a sprinkler system for kids to run through right come through the yeah, come run through that. the lawn <laughs> And so all all their their programs totally add up, but but the key here also, why John Birch Society would be in favor of Mulligans because it makes money. So it it it's a win win situation. It should be Mulligans should be a model for all government programs to make money. <clears throat> so it's not a drain on taxes, and it's affordable family entertainment for under 10 bucks you can drop your kids off for a couple hours or more and they can play miniature golf um they can have batting cages and they can be outside that's the key and so i was saying as much as i used to do theater and and act and the whole all of that you know it's probably a, a triple threat back in my day but i i if you're a little kid what do you want to do go sit for two hours and sit completely still Absolutely in the not. theater, <laughs> right? Although I had no problem sitting in still in church for two hours. That's another story. We can get into that later. But at a theater, no. Right. Like kids want to be outside. Yep. And, it, and they should be outside. I personally believe that so many of the problems that these young kids growing up at millennials and the generations after them and some before them is they they don't they're not out in nature enough and and, and i'm so passionate about this that um when i was in college i did a research paper on my idea to save the world um, and so it was i think the whole class that was the whole at, you know, how are you going to save the world? And so I said, okay, so get a, get a 10, 20 kids from New York City, the inner city, and take them to a ranch or a farm or somewhere in the outdoors. Take the TVs away. They didn't have cell phones back then, so, you know, it was TV and video. And take your landline phones away. And... And go out and and work work the land and feed the cattle and and have to work with your hands and find out where food comes from and 
and just feel the wind on your face and they even have artificial wind now. You can go to some nature centers like Big Surf and you know artificial artificial waves, artificial everything and it still can't you can't you can do a really good job recreating nature. But there's no substitute for the real thing as far as the benefits that it can have on people because it's spontaneous. The, it's hard to to have nature, you know, fake nature stuff. And as much as I hate hornets, it, they're all part of nature, you know, and, and bees and <clears throat> butterflies. And well, let me ask you this. Uh, I don't want to deviate too much. When did this all start that uh, South Jordan, or at least as far as you know, when did you get word that the city wanted to sell mulligans and change it into a developing area? Because I know they had the plans to put an amphitheater out there, restaurants, pavilion, and they wanted it. They even had planned to keep the golf course and redo it. When did all this begin that, that you're aware of? It was either, I, I think it was 2014 is when it started. Okay, and that's about what I heard the mayor, about. Yeah, yeah, I, I remember you saying that. And so um, they, it, they tried to keep it a secret. But but Julie Holbrook, who found out about it, um, I, I don't know what would happen if she didn't find out about it because the, the out-of-state company they hired recommended completely developing and I don't know if they had that in Braille if you could read you know the, the how map did she find out about it um someone in the city or something happened to say hey did you hear about the it was the I think the forest study is what they called it the group was some forest a group out of California and she said no I haven't heard about it so she she went in and checked the records. I think did a grandma request, and she found out about it. And we weren't supposed to know about it. They did their best to sneak this through. And I say to the city council that, by the way, out of the six city five council members and the mayor, they're all gone. We that's how big of an issue this was to South Jordan City that. Kids have to need to have a place to play and families, you mm -hmm. know, you could drop your kids off or family recreation. And so to, I, I get it. People have to place to live, but you also have to have a quality of life. And so. So let me, uh, some, let me ask ahead. you this. Take me through. Uh, because I know in 2014, the city paid off a, a $4.6 million bond for Milligans. And then this Steve Barnes, who was a city council member back then, voted against the bill because he thought that there was something in play where the bond was going. He said in the article that, paraphrasing, that now it's going to take decades to pay off. And he said, now that we're paying off this bond, or now that we paid it off or we're paying it off, we won't have money for a fire station, a new fire station. And the mayor said, yes, we do have a new fire, uh, money for a new fire station in spite of the fact 
we spent 4.6 million paying this off. Do you know, uh, take us through that whole issue if you can. Okay, and that that part of the issue is where I, um, I, I just gonna give the gist. Steve okay, Barnes yeah. was the, oh man, <laughs> bring back memories. Okay, Steve Barnes was the only city council member that was in favor of saving mulligans. And he would vote again. It would always be a 4-1 vote. And so he started having um, his own community meetings because the city had tried to sneak it through. So he so he invited his constituents out, of which I was one, and, and did polling and found out that nobody wanted to develop mulligans. So to get even with Steve not going along with the rest of the city council, they passed a resolution and they, they would actually ban him from some of the city council meetings, ban oh, him wow. from attending. And he was my city councilman. So they redistricted my district so that he wasn't my councilman anymore. I mean, I tell you, politics is a dirty game. It's It's no wonder I have a heart condition right now just because like they 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 stop at nothing to destroy anybody who gets in their way so the reason why steve barnes voted against purchasing mulligans because it wasn't it, it was just pay it it was there's still a bond on it and so it, it was all kind of an, an illusion to make people think that the city, you know, was on the side of purchasing mulligans. That's it's a whole nother story. But but they did purchase it, but they're still paying a bond on it. And so um, it, it will become, the way they set it up, it makes it easier to sell for development. It's, it's a complicated story, Kevin. But um, and then they wanted to, uh, so they, they throw this big party and say they bought mulligans and, and then they proceed to do other underhandy, underhanded sneaky stuff to uh, then put $12 million of debt on it so that they'll have to sell it. So we, we just had to keep fighting. So, you know, people might wonder, like, why is this a big issue? I'm a gun rights activist and, and I, but I'm, a, I'm a small town girl. I grew up in a, in a small town and I really believe that if we if we want to cure and, and start working together on society's ills, that the preservation of open space in urban areas is critical. And here's where I get upset with the environmentalists because they don't help us. There was one guy, a, a couple of environmentalists that did, but the big organizations, they're too busy trying to um, preserve thousands and thousands of acres out in the middle of nowhere where only the rattlesnakes can enjoy it. And we need the open space where the people are. So, um, be because uh, this can go down a million different tangents, mm -hmm. but let me just say this, that all, all these environmentalists that, um, are so into oh we have to preserve bears ears we have to preserve um the oh man what was the monument the staircase 
national monument that Bill Clinton oh, Escalante? declared. It, yeah, and yeah. and uh, and and Bears Ears. Th- those are millions of acres, and there's nobody around them. And they say, "Oh, we have to preserve them for the people." Well, so I I say I say that they are. Um, that's class warfare because really only the rich people can even go afford to go travel a day's drive to enjoy all this open space pre and preserved and it's expensive and then you have to if you're an avid outdoors person you know mountain biking you know uh, climbing mountains you know all the things that you do in nature they're really expensive so it becomes a matter of only rich people or, or or a family that saves for years really to to be able to even afford to go see all this open space but if it's near them in in these in urban areas where there's a huge concentration of people then everybody can afford to go out and enjoy nature yeah so take us through okay so in 2014 they paid off this bond and apparently Steve Barnes was right that uh, now that they paid off this bond, it's going to take decades to pay off. I don't understand that. It seems like if the city, and this is just me looking in from an observer, if they paid the six point or $4.6 million, that's a good jump start in my book, but I don't know the whole story, obviously. Uh, so what happened after they paid that bond and obviously the city was going to sell it. So what happened between then and when it was officially saved and when the city said they weren't going to sell it, what happened in between there? A lot of political activism and a lot of letters and city council meetings and lobbying and I, I think that it, it dominated city politics for two years. Steve Barnes will tell you it wasn't the South Jordan City Council, it was the Mulligans City Council. And I, there were people so dead set, including the mayor of developing Mulligans, because he thought that it would you know, be good cash, a tax, um, a tax, I, I can't think of the word, a tax collector. Anyway, it bring in you know, more taxes if you, yeah, they, they would bring in more taxes. So, but even after they bought it, then they hired another research company to tell them what they should do with it. And they spent another, I think it was 50000 or more on a study. And we said, why don't you ask the people that live in South Jordan? We'll tell you. Why don't you ask the golfers that golf there? Because they're not going to get the result they want. So these out-of-state consultants said, the best thing for Mulligans, again, was to develop it and to take most of Mulligans away. So we had to fight them on that, and that would cost $12 million. So we're saying, if you, you said you couldn't afford it when the payment payoff was $4.5 million and you want to put $12 million onto it. So, so that it's going to be a never-ending battle because we've been told that at least once a week, a developer makes come to South Jordan City and asks to develop it because it's by I-15, it's by the Jordan River bottoms, and there's not very much green spaces left in Salt Lake County to develop. So where we see green space for K-12 
kids to be able to have a place and to have a childhood, they'd see that green space turned into green dollars by putting uh, offices, retail, if retail's even going to make it anymore, you know, um, and, and completely developing it. Now, do you predict that there will be underhand techniques, secretive, secret meetings to develop this like there was in the past before it was divulged by Julie Holbrook? Yes, there always will be, <clears throat> and there have been. So we're trying to work for a way to get mulligans put into a conservation easement where <clears throat> where you have it like, you know, for 99 years that you can't develop it. Or I've even heard talk of if we make it into a state park or just to do anything. But quite honestly, that big 60-acre parcel of green space by Jordan River is too tempting for developers and they want to develop it because they, they need to keep making money and they need to make money by developing. And they don't really care. They don't care about kids and families. They, they only care about the almighty dollar and the ones that are making the offers, they're already multimillionaires. So I wish they would just offer to South Jordan City, we'll buy it, you know, we'll, we'll donate. I'll buy it, I'll personally buy this I'm rich enough because I know people that are rich enough because 60 acres wouldn't be a big deal. You know, they could buy it and preserve it for good. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so what do you think ultimately? Okay. So what, when did you find out that the city was no longer thinking about developing this? When did you find out that it was saved temporarily? Well, I asked them all the time. And there was a party, a 25-year anniversary of Mulligans, and I'll, I'm, I got to be careful, but I, I can tell you that I, I talked with city staffers and people on the city council, and they said, Jana Lee, I assure you, as long as I'm in office, Mulligans won't be developed. So as long as they're in office, but if you get somebody else in office and they think, hey, we need to develop it and bring more tax, a tax base is the word I'm looking for, you know. So it's never going to be safe until measures are taken because they always have staff turnover and city council turnover. The city council, before um, the one that put it into the, to buy mulligans, they wanted to save it and they got a new city council and they wanted to develop it. So I, I don't, I don't know. Like I've already. I don't know if I if you remember this, but I got sued for one point seven million dollars to from for my efforts to try to save part of the Jordan River bottoms. And it became a matter of free speech because they sued me and said they'll drop the lawsuit if I just keep my mouth shut. Is that the one that you were working with Rocky Anderson on? Yes. Yeah, okay. to his credit, he's a liberal Democrat. Yeah. And he thought that was an infringement on speech and so he he spent uh, probably about $100,000 worth of um, pro bono or free legal work. And we won a major free speech case at the Utah Supreme Court. And there's a book out about it. You know what, I'll, Kevin, I'm going to buy you if they have an audio copy. Or I don't even, I don't think they'd have it in Braille, but go to Amazon. I'll send you the link. And 
<clears throat> if they have an audio copy, I'll buy one for you. But, so a reporter interviewed me for four years and wrote a novel based on a true story. It's called Slapped, a novel based on a true story by Paul Swenson. And Slapped stands for Strategic Lawsuit Against Public Participation. These are, it's, so it's a slap suit meant to intimidate people into silence. One of the, one of the uh, very many tools that are being used to stifle free speech. But nobody tells me to be quiet. So I, you know, I would tell, if I don't care, if I lose everything I own, you don't use the courts as a method to shut people up who are just going to city council meetings and expressing their opinions. So we won a major free speech case at the Utah Supreme Court, and we got a law passed called the Citizen Participation in Government Act, which guarantees that if you're in the act of petitioning a government body, that your speech is absolutely protected. <clears throat> in fact, since we're doing a free speech podcast right now, so you, you understand that the First Amendment is first for a reason. And my, my lawyer found um, when Rocky became mayor of Salt Lake City, we hired a lawyer and we have $400,000 worth of legal fees. Um, and his name was Dale Gardner. But he, he found there's a doctrine that, it, that you should know about, Kevin, and, and anybody who wants to make a difference by using their voice. And it's called the NOR, it's N-O-E-R-R, -R, the NOR-Pennington Doctrine which says that free speech is so important and it's so important to be able to have unfettered free speech that even if you're wrong, as long as it's not intentional and you're not trying to defraud someone, that that speech is absolutely protected. So, um, and there's a website that tells the story uh, needs to be updated, but it's, the website is slapsuit.org, S-L-A-P-P-S-U-I-T dot O-R-G. And it has newspaper articles, some of the articles about the fight for that we had to preserve some precious Jordan River bottoms. And then we got sued for $1.7 million. And um, it, was, it was a big story because the, the media covered it because they were worried, you know, they, they need to have people they need to have political activists the world if if there wasn't political activists do people understand that we would already be enslaved and we would not be a yeah, free that's, country that's the whole point of this uh, podcast episode today is uh, when people get involved you can make a difference i hear too many people including uh, siblings by oh, i'm just one person oh I'm, it doesn't matter i'm now we have to get politically involved. I've seen it with my own eyes. Uh, for example, in 2014, the city of Salt Lake was trying to take away Uber. That was their main goal. Yeah, they finagled some of the things by trying to make Uber abide by the same laws as the cab companies. But ultimately, they didn't want it around. Uh -huh. uh, and by the way, great good for Rocky Anderson for being your ally, but he was definitely an opponent for Uber and Lyft. 
I remember yeah. that. Yeah, I I was there at the hearing because uh, the city had a hearing. And I remember just wanting to boo Rocky. I never did because I, <laughs> just in the back of my mind, knew, well, I wouldn't want anyone booing me, mm -hmm. so I'm not doing it to him. But I, <laughs> I was sure tempted. And I remember getting up there speaking my mind. Make a long story short, we got our way. Now, we had to go to the state legislature to get our way. And the state uh -huh. legislature, by the way, good for Jim Debacus for being on our side. He's, he's, he helped us out. The point is, when you when you are willing to take time out of your busy day to go be an activist for something, you can make a difference. Right. That's why I get really frustrated with so many people that just, I'll just say it on the podcast, bitch and moan and don't do anything about it. Right. Yeah. Yes. Uh, it's it's a it's a battle. It, it is a battle for freedom. Um, let's see, what's this? Oh, now you're not gonna yeah, you're not gonna be able to fight every single cause. There's way too many. You have to right. pick your causes. Yeah. And I picked mine because I was already the beneficiary of Uber and Lyft, and really enhanced oh, my yeah. life. Oh yeah, I'm sure that's so much better for you. Oh yeah, because the cab companies, you would. I took cabs, but once, well, maybe once a month, because they're so expensive. Uh -huh. uh, once Lyft and Uber came along, people don't realize, yeah, it's great to take the buses and all, but gosh, they take a long time to get from point A to point B sometimes. And, uh -huh. and he, a lot of transfers. Yes, and it was just so much easier to take Lyft or Uber to the light rail mm -hmm. and take the light rail. It was so much easier to take Lyft and Uber to a bus stop and not have to worry about crossing a busy street and things like that. It was uh -huh. really convenient. Or sometimes I'd take Lyft or Uber the whole way, depending on where I was going, really. But even if I just took it to a bus stop, it was much more convenient than walking and crossing a busy intersection and things like that. It wasn't impossible to do, but it definitely made my life easier with Uber and Lyft. Uh -huh. Oh, yeah, because it was cheap, still is, compared to the cab company. Yeah. But uh, real quick, before we end this podcast here, is there anything that you want to tell us that I've forgotten or anything about being involved? Obviously, we, you, those of you who've listened to the podcast extensively know that Janelee's been involved with gun control legislation uh, against gun control. Go back and listen to previous podcasts. Anything you want to talk to us about mulligans or anything I'd skipped over about being, becoming involved? Well, I, I think that you're right, Kevin, and, and and Mulligans was such a beautiful movement to be part of because it wasn't, you can't, you can have ringleaders, but yeah, I was a ringleader, you know, I've been, been a ringleader of a bunch of causes, but um, but I'm not, if people don't join up, it takes hundreds and thousands of people to get involved, and so so if somebody is, if they're, they're say, hey, there's a cause I believe in, they're, they're going to make it as easy as possible for other people to get involved. But we do need the number. So I never completely take the credit because it's not a movement unless the people come out. But it, it was just easy because Mulligans was such a well-loved 
family entertainment place. People would go on dates there. And um, like I say, it's a friendly, I'm not even a golfer. You know, I've, I've gone there to play miniature golf and, um, but, By the way, for the record, I have gotten a hole in one at the miniature golf course at Milligan's. Oh, you have? Oh, I wow, have. good for you! Wow, yep. did you get a get something for it? Never did. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, wow, I think you should get something for it. <laughs> so, but yeah, so it's just really important because if Ezra Tap Benson said something like, "I'm only one, but you know, I can make a difference. I'm going to do." whatever I can. So again, it's extremely critical for people to get involved. Well, I want to ask you one more question and we'll end the podcast. Um, speaking of getting involved now, there's even speculation that he even said this, but apparently Joseph Smith said that the constitution had hanged by a thread and it would be up to the elders of Israel who saved it. What do you make of that statement? Now historians are even debating whether he said it, but I believe because there's so much quoted about that, he said something to that effect in a private meeting. What do you make of that? I've heard, yeah, I've heard that he did say it. I've heard that he didn't say that, but um, I think there's I've, enough I think he said to... something to that because obviously yeah, there's, yeah. The point of contention is who is going to step in and save it. Yeah. People thought it was Orrin Orrin Hatch thought he was the one. I I can't there's a name. Is it Stocking Horse or the, there's a name of the per, you know, it's called the revelation was I can't remember it's got a specific name. But um it's definitely not Mitt Romney. He certainly nope. He's not, not a good church one. member. No, he's he's totally not. And uh, he might be good. No, I don't even think he's a good church member because I don't think he no, should lie and, and get away with it. Um, because he's really a Democrat. <laughs> and so anyway, um, I I believe it's it's just uh, it's it's citizens, normal everyday. It's always normal everyday people that make a difference, um, and, and do something ordinary. People do something extraordinary and. Because people who are in positions of power, their ox isn't being gored, and so they don't have any motivation. If you if you have money and position and your family is taken care of, I think that a lot of times you don't really care about anybody else. I, I kind of have the attitude if I that's I have a degree from BYU. Um, I have a nice house. I have a nice life. I don't need to get involved. I have ducks in my backyard. I live on wetlands and I have so many trees in my yard that you can see from the airplane. So, but because I have that, I want other people to enjoy it. But some people have nice things and and they don't, they like being a little bit better than everybody else. And they don't want to help anybody else. They like being above everybody. And I think that's really selfish. So yeah, now I do want to get uh, to one more thing. Oh, by the way, stick okay. around after the podcast. I need to talk to you about something. You're not in trouble, though. Uh, uh oh, I mean, oh, that's good. <laughs> um, I back to that quote. Uh, I actually heard you may have heard it. President Benson gave a talk called "The Constitution: A Heavenly Banner" uh-huh. back in 1987 at a BYU devotional. I heard it on YouTube. I it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting that he said 
it will not be the people in Washington, D.C. who will save the Constitution, nor will it be the church leaders, which I thought the second part of that quote was more interesting than the first, because we always hear and think of the church leaders. But a friend uh-huh. of mine brought up a good point. Maybe the church leaders are so busy sharing the gospel or taking care of the administration part of the church they won't have time. What do you make of that second part of the quote? Because I think we can all understand the first part. Yeah, I I believe that that the, the church leaders don't have time. Is that what he, like he said? That yeah, and he said uh, it wasn't it wasn't going to be Washington. That what was and what was yeah, the second? He said it wasn't going to be general authorities or church leaders. Something I think oh. he said church leaders. And I think he meant the high up. I don't think he meant a bishop, or I think he meant the high up. I'd have to go back and watch that video again, but I, I think he meant the higher up, like the president, the prophet, and people like that. Yeah, I think I think what you said is accurate. I mean, people, gosh, you can only do so much. Like, I, I love it. I, I totally respect them as my religious leaders, and I'm glad they're being held up for an example as re- being religious and how to live and knowledge about Christ and all that. And I don't ever want to be in that position. So I respect them for their. And let's be honest, this is not a bash against the church leaders, but the church leaders do spend a lot of time kissing up to governments around the world because they have to, they want the church in that country. They have to kiss up to the leaders. Just like if I wanted a business to go into Canada, you know what I'd be doing? I would be kissing up to their government to get my business in there, even if I may not agree with their government. But if I wanted my business in that in Canada that bad, don't you think it would be smart for me to kiss up to the government? It's what lobbying's all about. Yeah. It's just the way it is. Yep. You want something, little kids learn to lobby their parents for something they want. And it's just the way it is. You have to lobby. You have to go make your case to be heard why um why you want your way or why you want something so yeah well um i will talk to you later folks i hope you enjoyed the podcast i'm sorry i haven't done a podcast in a while but uh i will talk to you later folks